I am so excited for Sarah Kustak today, Carly. I know. I cannot believe we got her. Wait, I, <laughs> this is really funny. I was telling my mom that she was coming on, and I was like, we got someone with a blue check mark. My mom was like, what does that mean? I go, you know, on Instagram, blue check mark means they're verified. She goes, oh, that's what that means? <laughs> wait, wait, what did she think it was? She had no idea. <laughs> that's actually so cute oh, and you're you're so. and i feel like your mom's so active on instagram she, she posts is, the cutest she instagram is. story she didn't know what it was that's so, so cute that's adorable right? i funny so i mean for those listening hopefully you guys know who sarah kustak is if you're involved in the sports world an incredible analyst a big part of the brooklyn nets organization um about a year ago i met sarah at the nets game my old basketball coach from when i was a child is the Nets radio um, play-by-play announcer. And he was kind enough to introduce me to Sarah at a Nets game. And, you know, we've kept in touch ever since. And I have to say, I've met so many people in this industry that I've been privileged to meet. And Sarah just really stands out as just one of the kindest souls you'll ever meet. So we're, me and Carly are really looking forward to that interview later. Yeah, super genuine, nice person. You know, we, we were so honored to have her on so we're super excited to share that interview with you guys we have some interesting current events Carly, do you want to start our little checklist yeah so there's a lot happening this week um, big news carl nassib comes out as gay um he is um a rotational defensive end currently for the las vegas raiders i met Carl when I worked for the Buccaneers you did yeah he was was there my first season oh wow okay so I knew him cool guy like goofy fun nice guy um and we're gonna listen to what he said on his Instagram when he shared the news with everyone what's up people I'm Carl Nassib I'm at my house here in Westchester Pennsylvania just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're an incredible organization. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America. And they're truly doing incredible things. And I'm very excited to be a part of it, to help in any way that I can. And I'm really pumped to see what the future holds. So in that, he said that he is going to pledge $100,000 to the Trevor Project. And the Trevor Project provides crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to the LGBTQ youth. Um, He's the first active NFL player to come out as gay. People might remember Michael Sam. He was the first NFL draft pick that was gay in 2014. He never played an active roster role. So that's why this is historical, because Carl Nassib is the first active NFL player. Obviously, there was a lot of league reactions. I saw um, some great ones, some great quotes from, like, Saquon, Edelman. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, he received a ton of support from players around the league. You know, like Sarah said, some big names. 
and um, you know, from Goodell as well. And the NFL also issued a statement in support of him. And the NFL is going to match Carl's contribution to the Trevor Project, which I think is a really nice um, gesture for the NFL to do that. But you know what's odd to me that it's we're talking about this in twenty. I never. It took till twenty twenty one. Yeah, for someone to be like that's crazy to me. For someone to be comfortable enough to do so, exactly. and the thing is, he's you know he's a seasoned vet. Mm-hmm. So the guys in the league already know him. You yeah. know they know him. They're not you know because <clears throat> it's obviously you know people immediately start thinking oh, you know, what is it going to be in the locker room and like that, you know, people know Carl, people have played with him all these years. And, you know, I I think I was thinking about, you know, things that might come up from this. And a big thing is, like I said, what goes on in the locker room and if guys are uncomfortable, whatever. And I said, you know what, if you're uncomfortable, that's a, your problem exactly you know everyone is a professional acts like professionals if you're uncomfortable about this it's your problem you need to deal with that but you know everyone's a professional yeah I agree at the end of the day it's it's your job and I mean like Carly said it's it's about the person that he is and he's an awesome person and he seems really well supported so it's definitely some a good celebratory headline from the NFL yeah I agree and I I think it, it shows that you know we're moving in the right direction for sure. So switching routes um, to get into the NBA playoffs. This has been exciting, guys. So I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning, I had projected the Nets to go to the finals. Uh, I was wrong. A little plot was there. <laughs> but to, to, to be fair, I didn't know that, you know, the big three wouldn't really have the the stardom, unfortunately, you know, with injuries plaguing the season. and. Right. You know, and the fact that James Harden was even able to play as much as he did with what he was dealing with, the physical pain just blows my mind. And obviously Kevin Durant playing all those minutes, but, you know, it wasn't enough. And I think the Nets being out is crazy. And the Lakers, like think of all these big, huge franchises that are no longer in the, the conversation. And now in the Western Conference Finals, you know, we have two teams who have never won a championship. The Suns last played in the finals in 1993. And the Clippers have never made this deep of a run. So I think this is just so fascinating. We're on the heels of Devin Booker, who is a young star. Um, obviously, when we found out that Chris Paul was on the COVID list and he was out, it was tragic. And then you have Devin Booker. What does he do? He comes out and has his first career triple-double, absolutely explodes, pulls his team together. And you know now Chris Paul will be available for game three, which is really exciting. And something else to look at is it's been getting a little chippy. I don't know if you guys have seen the memes of Devin Booker's nose compared to (laughs) Steve Nash. But anytime you have Patrick Beverly in the mix, it's going to get physical. And the game definitely got physical. So I really do look forward to the next game and really, really rooting for the Suns. Um, And then the East, we have the Hawks, who have lost on a title in 1958. um, And they're facing the Milwaukee Bucks, who are also hoping to end a 50-year title drought. So we're, like, all these teams are hungry, you know? This isn't the same boring you know, the Lakers who have won it all. These are teams who are really striving for that win. Yeah, that's exactly. I was going to say, you know, with these super teams that have come about in the NBA, we're so used to seeing the same teams over and over again in the playoffs, the same teams over and over again in the finals. It's so nice to see, you know, new teams that are, like you said, really hungry, want it, you know, we'll put everything on the line. Exactly. And then to have guys like Devin Booker and Trae Young who are, 
literally so young and all people talked about was, oh, well, they don't have postseason experience. You know, how's that going to pan out? And yet they're coming up and literally carrying their team. Well, so they it's have talent. Be- and like you said, they have hunger. Exactly. And, and that's I, something I that you may, that people might like that hunger. It may go like, you know, it can go away as you get older. I agree with that. Which and I is, think, I think that's so yeah. true, Carly. That's a good point. I think that's why people honestly respected Kobe so much. It's because he had that hunger throughout his entire career. Right. Exactly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how these conference finals play out and, you know, yeah. what this finals game ends up looking like. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Next thing we want to touch on is in the MLB. So the MLB has a new rule. It's um, a foreign a foreign substance rule for pitchers. So now the MLB has said that um, – they can now search pitchers for these foreign substances. These unauthorized foreign substances, pitchers can use them to doctor baseballs. They have been against the rules for a long time, but it's rarely been enforced until now. The crackdown started this Monday um, when main, major and minor league umpires started pitchers for tacky substances used to get a better grip, better grip on the balls, but can also increase the spin of balls and make it harder for them to be hit. What it seems like is that anytime a manager call calls for a check when the opposing pitcher is on the mound, the umpires can check them. So they and they're checking their hats um, and their belts and their glove. But this can, it's not like mandated. Oh, every inning or every time they go on the mound, it's whenever it seems to you whenever the opposing manager calls for it. So essentially I in my head I thought well an opposing manager could use it to disturb a pitcher's momentum right to get in a pitcher's head so now it could be used as like a you know a tool and I think if they said typically the inspections will take place between innings or during the pitching changes to give the umpire like ample time to perform the check without delaying the game but yeah I wonder like how the players think like will react to this well are they going to be really annoyed Something actually happened the other night in a matchup between the Nationals and the Phillies. Nats pitcher Max Scherzer was on the mound, and Phillies manager Joe Girardi had him checked multiple times to the point where Scherzer got so aggravated that he threw his hat down. He stared into the dugout at Joe Girardi, and Joe Girardi comes, like, out of the dugout with, like, he is just, like, full force, you know, ready to go. It almost got into, like, a fist fight with another coach. It was really, you know, Scherzer was pissed. Scherzer's like, I'm clean. Stop. And, you know, Girardi got in his head. Yeah, Which, that's you know, what I'm worried about. It's it's smart on Girardi's part, but it's not really maintaining the integrity of the game if you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, starting pitchers will have more than one mandatory check per game. And relief pitchers have to be checked either at the end of the game um, or when they enter. And I just, I really want to just continue to see how the players react to this. Yeah, I think they're going to start to lose it a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. Something that happened on Wednesday night, the Islanders forced a game seven at the barn with a 3-2 OT win over the Bolts. Game seven will be played on Friday night back in Tampa. 
Now, this has been a very exciting series. As I predicted way back when the NHL playoffs started, I said the Islanders would be the fourth seed to go the farthest. You did say that. Here we are. And go Bolts. And, um, you know, and I said this in the past too, you know, the Lightning are a more talented team. However, the Islanders do have a ton of talent. And they are playing with grit and hustle and hunger. And they really want it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this, um, you know, this series finishes. The Islanders, you know, want their revenge. They've been eliminated by the Lightning in the playoffs the past few years. So they don't want that anymore. They want to be able to beat their kryptonite and make it to the finals, of course. It's going to be really interesting. We love a Game 7, of course. Game so 7 is Christmas morning. Game 7 always Seriously. feels like Christmas morning to me. It's amazing. Game 7s are the best. There's so much on the line. They're so exciting. It's just like Game 7 the playoffs. Like, oh, yes. It's what you. It's literally what you always wish for. It's amazing. Yes, 100%. I mean, of course, like, my teams aren't involved. So, like, <laughs> but, like, if, you're, if your teams are involved, maybe you don't want a Game 7. But it's great. <laughs> Yeah, and your teams aren't involved. And you just want some exciting playoff playoff for games sure. for sure. We're gonna cut to our interview with Sarah, and we will see you guys there. Hey guys, we're here today with Sarah Kutoff, who's our that worked for the Yes Network and Fox Sports. In 2017, Sarah became the first female full-time analyst for an NBA team's local TV broadcast. And we're just really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time, Sarah. Sarah, Carly, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting to talk to both of you. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We're so excited to hear all about you and you know we're a platform for all about you know women in the industry we can't wait to hear what you're going to share with us well let's hope it's good now I feel like I I have some heavy expectations to fulfill (laughs) (laughs) all the great women that you have had before me on this podcast so I appreciate it I'm honored sure of course so um so we're gonna jump right into the questions yeah, absolutely. So what um, inspired you um, to want to be in front of the camera? Gosh, I think to this day, I still don't want to be in front of the camera. And, and most of the reason that puts me there is just because of my my love and my passion for sports. Um, my interest in so many of the athletes and the teams and the organizations we get to cover. And really just being around the game. Um, I didn't go into college or even really post-college when I was getting my master's um, with the intent of getting into broadcast journalism, more of it. um, I got my master's in corporate multicultural communication. I've always loved to to research and to read and to write. Um, I've enjoyed speaking engagements, but until I was a production runner um, for ESPN's Big Ten football games throughout the course of grad school, I was kind of doing it while I was still in school and I was working um, in the sports information department at DePaul. Um, to finish out my, my scholarship and my studies after um, finishing with my eligibility playing basketball. I was at, I tell the story often, but a, it was a Michigan-Wisconsin um, football game. It was uh, one of the first times I sat in a TV truck throughout the course of a production. And 
light went on and it light went on in my in my eyes of oh my goodness the opportunity to do live live productions the pressure that comes with it the performance aspect of kind of relating to being an athlete of winning and losing and success and failure and challenges to overcome um all of that to me was something that was so intriguing and fascinating and immediately became a career path that I wanted to pursue. For sure. And you know, it's not really conventional for a lot of people. It's really difficult in the beginning. Can you talk about a time where you faced some kind of rejection and how you responded to that? How much time do we have? I feel, I feel like there is an endless list and the first thing um, that I would always tell any individual that's trying to get into this industry, and this really goes across for so many professions, but you need to have a thick skin um, because yeah, there were so many jobs, opportunities. I mean, I truly, I, the list is so long of you know thinking this would be a great position or a great role or a great opportunity um, that you just don't get. And I think for anyone uh, in this profession, they have a, a long list of those. If they don't, then they, they must be the cream of the crop. Because I think with all things, uh, you get experiences, you become better, you try and find ways to refine and retool your work and what you do um, with this craft. And some of that comes through the opportunity experience on air and, and while you're in a job. And sometimes it comes from sitting in your bedroom, staring at a mirror or having the TV on mute uh, and trying to practice or do different things. And so the biggest, biggest aspect of all of this um, you know, pursuit of what you're trying to do with broadcasting. I think a lot of it comes just from being able to be versatile, have thick skin and take some of the critique, the criticism and the rejection and just channel it towards trying to improve and make yourself better. Sure. Now going off that, that is some great advice. You know, we try to be um, kind of a source for other women in the industry. Is there some specific advice that you can give to young women who want to enter the male dominated sports industry? Be you, be prepared, work your tail off. I would give the same advice to young women as I would give to young men. Um, we have seen so much progress take place in particular over the course of the last, I would say the last few years, the last five years, um, the role I'm in now when I got started and even midway through my career, I, I never really thought this was a, a real possibility. Um, and now there are so many openings and opportunities for women to be in positions that I think so often we thought of as being dominated by males. So um, at this juncture, this is a question that I've answered a lot throughout the course of my career. And it's changed in some ways, but in some ways that it, it has not because at the core and at the crux of, of what it is that you do, um, you are trying to be the best possible broadcaster, analyst, reporter, host, whatever it is. And to me, that comes down to preparation. It comes down to a confidence in yourself and it comes down to um, really just a lack of compromise of, of what you wanna be, who you wanna be, the integrity that you bring to the position. Um, and that's very important for a woman, but it's also, I think, just very important across the board. We always reference our interview with Coach Lori Locus because she's been like so groundbreaking in the field. And, you know, we always talk about the day where like, it won't be news that a woman gets, you know, 
a job is, you know, becomes an analyst, becomes a coach, becomes a scout. And, you know, that's like the goal that we are working towards someday. That, yeah, sorry. You, you've got a question coming, Carly, but you no, nailed go I, for it. Yeah. You want it. You want it to be the norm and not a novelty. Um, yeah. and I had a big balance when I um, was so grateful and so thankful to become um, the, you know, the first uh, analyst for an NBA team and for, um, you know, the Brooklyn Nets and what I was able to do. And there was the tension because of it. But I also, I, I wanted to celebrate being a female. I wanted to celebrate being a woman. I wanted to celebrate what that meant in some regard that that threshold was crossed. But at the same token, it's like, man, we all just want to show up and do our jobs. We just want to, to have it be a, a circumstance. And we've seen this in front offices and um, it, with coaching staffs. And you go down the list of how many different areas there are where it, it's talked about just because you are excited for the individual to have earned um, a certain role or position, not because of the fact um, that she's a female and because it, it's so um, it, it's so new to what we're used to used to saying. Right. I can totally relate to what you said. Um, you know, when I, you know, started working for the Buccaneers as a scout, I just wanted to do my job. I didn't want, you know, oh, we, you know, there's this person that wants to talk to you and interview you because of your gender, because, and it's like, I just want to do my job. You know, I'm in this building to do my job, not for all, you know, the stuff around it. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. That is I so definitely true. understand. But, you know, we definitely want to get your take on the next, obviously, because that is your specialty. Um, so can you give us your take on the next playoff run and what you are looking forward to seeing next season? So much of what happened in the postseason really was predicated on injuries. Um, and in some ways, uh, you look at the whole season and what they were able to accomplish with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden, each individually missing a significant amount of time through the regular season. And so the year was a story of just um, facing challenges, adversity, fluidity and lineups, different players, um, you know, just really being able to fill in different roles and take on a variety of uh, responsibilities that they may not had had James and Kevin and Kyrie being the headliners uh, been healthy and available the whole time. But in the snippets of the early part of the postseason, when we saw those three on the floor together, along with the rest of, you know, the complementary roster that was extraordinary, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. They were everything and more of what Nets fans and many across the league NBA fans had anticipated and hoped to see. Um, and while, you know, James and, and Kyrie then were, had missed some time throughout the course of the Buck series. Uh, and they were, they were just a, a Kevin Durant toe away from still advancing to the Eastern conference final. I think in many ways, it just continued to shine the light on the extraordinary play of Kevin Durant, two years removed from rupturing his Achilles, and he was just otherworldly. And um, overall, I think you saw a level of just chemistry, connectivity between the group, um, and just how much they were all playing for one another. Um, some big time performances, Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin and uh, Nicholas Claxton had some moments, Jeff Green, uh, I can go down the list of just different players playing really critical roles. But overall, I, I think the takeaway um, 
was a level of disappointment because a lot of it was what could have been had they been healthy. However, for the organization, for the team, um, for those who are fans of the Nets, I think there's a lot of optimism looking at with this offseason. And as you think about next year, and hopefully those three guys are healthy, uh, the, the really you know, big time possibilities that this group could have. Yeah, it's such a shame that injuries that played the big three. And I know Barclays is like such an exciting energy this season. Are you still like watching the playoffs now? And like, who, like, do you feel yourself like supporting one team over the other? Or is it more of like a neutral watch from like an analyst perspective? Yeah, I'm locked. I am locked in. I am always locked into the playoffs, regardless. Um, some of it comes from just still the the work and the profession and the other work obligations that I have. Uh, but more of it just comes from my love to watch, um, you know, watch this time of the season. And I have found this particular postseason because so many teams have faced whether because of injury, because of COVID, the uniqueness and challenge of the year. Um, we're seeing a lot of new faces. We're seeing new teams. And we're seeing just, I think, such a extraordinary competitiveness um, and really fun back and forth between, think about what Trey Young is doing with the Atlanta Hawks and um, how they have just blown through um, this postseason thus far against some of, you know, the toughest places to play, what they're doing on the road, a young group um, that Nate McMillan has just been really, really um, special in guiding and leading. I've enjoyed watching them. You know, the Bucks are a team too that I've got a lot of interest and intrigue in. Obviously, seeing what they've done with Brooklyn, but also the expectations they've had the last two years. Uh, Chris Paul and Big Game Book and DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix and um, you know just how they have. And I don't even know if it's surprise considering the fact that they did finish the season with the number two seed in the Western Conference, but they have just. Um, they've all understood the roles. They've all been playing. It's such a really um, connected in a connected way that makes it fun to watch them. And, and some of these last minute, you know, last minute shots or the game coming down to the line, the Clippers, you know, Ty Lue, I just have so much respect for him as a coach. And of course, dealing without playing with Kawhi Leonard at this juncture. Um, but what that group has been able to do, I, I just think it's been really, really fun. The early rounds were so enjoyable if you're a fan of basketball. And now I think we've just, we've had such tight games, such unexpected games um, that if you are a fan of the NBA, uh, th this is the time and, and we're getting a, a lot, a lot of good games and good series. Yeah, it's definitely been exciting. You know, unfortunately, there has been all those injuries, but um, it's definitely stayed exciting and all these other guys, you know, needing to step up, you know, and keep playing. That's that's what we do, you know, next man up. Um, but we do want to ask you if you have like a favorite player that you like talking about or talking to or working with, you know, any like favorite memory you have with a certain player. This, uh, this goes back to like long lists and one that will get me in trouble if I start naming off players and leaving, leaving others off. Uh, but I think that that circles back to um, 
just how special it is when we all have opportunities to get to know players, not only as the players they are, but as people. And I think about the long run of players that, you know, have come through, uh, whether it's with the Brooklyn Nets, whether I was covering the Chicago Bulls, whether it's now, you know, different NFL games I'll be doing or other teams that you're covering. Um, and to me, so much of it comes down to um, some of the background and the stories and the way individuals have gotten to the point where they're at. And I think that's so important for fans to remember um, just that uh, there are people too, and I think they do, but I think so often we're watching games. Um, and when you learn just some of the ways in which their path or their journey took them here, um, that's some of my favorite. And that's where, you know, we. We're all as journalists or broadcasters, um, you know, our intent and our goal is to remain unbiased. But I think even when, you know, players are traded or they go to different teams, like I find myself then still rooting for different players on other teams, having known them, having covered them. Um, and, you know, for me, it's most important when a lot of people ask about my favorite players or when I talk about things like so much of it comes down to just those that have been so respectful um, to, to all of us. You watch how they interact with, with their team. You watch how they interact with those around the arena, arena around the stadiums. Um, those are the players or, or the coaches um, or, you know, front office members, whoever it may be that I always have just so much respect um, when they, they, the things they do for the community, the things they do outside the court, outside the field that I think make it um, really cool to get to know that side of them. Yeah, the league definitely has quality players, but I think it also just speaks a lot to the level of comfort that you establish with them. Are there certain analysts that you kind of look up to or kind of gave you a lot of guidance when you were first starting out? Yeah, there are so many. And I think you you gain and glean different like bits of advice or insight or um, you learn from in different ways and whether it's through actually talking to them, whether it's through watching them. I mean, I think the name that we all, especially as an MBA analyst, uh, immediately say is Doris Burke, uh, because, and, and not only, um, because she's extraordinary at her job, um, but to think I would never be in the position if not for her. Um, I think about Doris, I think about Ann Myers Drysdale. Um, I even think about like the work that, that Beth Moens has done, um, Debbie Antonelli, like there are so many um, females that have done in, in, in the NBA realm, I in particular look at Doris and at Annie, um, because I know that I potentially would not have had this opportunity if not for them. And if they were not so good and so excellent at what they did, have done and do. Um, and, and Doris in particular, like to me, that the thing that always stands out is just her level of preparation and how hard she works to know every nuance of every team of the game and all the details and all the stuff. And uh, she is just so extremely knowledgeable and then she's willing to share so much with you. And so even before I was in the analyst role as a report, she just always was willing um, to be so generous with her time, with her insight, with her knowledge, with her help. And again, same goes with Annie. Um, when I would get a chance to see her and talk to her. And to me, that, that speaks volumes um, because there are so many analysts in the NBA. Um, I could start going down the list of, of all those that 
think do such an extraordinary job. Um, but to me, it's it's all those people. It's it's a small. It feels like a family. And so when we see each other, whether it's the national um, the national broadcast that we're at the same game and we get to talk and catch up, and they talk about different things, whether it's the other uh, teams that we cover and the the team broadcast when we're on the road, which hopefully we'll go back to that next season. Uh, we get to chat with them and get some insight, and we're sharing about our, our teams. I think that's the the really cool part of um, you get to a view of how they perceive the game, they perceive players, they perceive the team, especially once they're so entrenched with. Um, so I think so much of that is so important. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is uh, what I think has always stuck with me, you learn from people, you listen to people, you watch people. I think there's so many things about different broadcasters that can help make you better. But at the end of the day, what resonates most with viewers and listeners is if you are your most genuine, authentic self. Um, so being you, being how you, how you can be uh, the truest form of who you are, uh, that to me is what's most important. Because if you're trying to replicate someone else, um, it's never going to be as good at, as who they are. And so no one will ever be able to be as good of me as, as a Sarah Kustak as I am of me. Um, so you just try and to do your best to be as prepared as possible, learn as much as you can, um, but but be you. And and that to me is is the ultimate um, goal of trying to be the best broadcaster that you can be. That's such good advice. And you know, it is the truth because you want, you know, as a sports fan, you want that person, you know, that you, you know, listen to every game or see every game to be authentic. And I think it adds so much to that to the game and the broadcast itself to, you know, see people as them, their true selves. And, you know, it, it, you know, adds spice to it and all that. It makes it like a lot more fun. You yeah. Know? Like entertain, like you're trying to be informative, but you're also trying to be entertaining and you're yeah. trying to have fun with it and find that balance between um, making sure you're helped to show and teach and explain what you see in, in the game, but also um, enjoy, remember at the same time that it is a game and it right. is um, so you should yeah. have as well. Right. And we're, you know, we're all in the industry for a reason. We love the sport. Yep. You know, that's why we're in sports because we love the game and we never want to like lose sight of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to pivot kind of away from your professional life. We know that you are a Lululemon ambassador and you're really into fitness. So including fitness, what are some of the things you like to do when you're not working? Um, that's, I think for as much as it, you think about work being work, I enjoy work so much. Um, so if you ask me, you know, what I'm doing these evenings, most of it's probably watching, you know, and whether you're doing it with friends or, or love watching, watching the NBA, you know, Eastern and Western conference finals, watching games, um, getting a chance to get out and go to some other games. I mean, now the summer you think about the Yankees playing and NYCFC and like other things you can get out and do and still um, be around sports. I am a Lululemon ambassador, uh, something I'm, I'm super grateful for and really honored and humbled to be. Uh, I run a, I run a ton. I love to, to cycle and to do yoga. I still try and play basketball, although I'm much slower than I was back in the day. And I, I'm hoping the, the injuries don't start hitting, but, uh, but yeah, just get out, you know, still playing sports, hanging out with friends uh, and enjoying, you know, living in New York City, I'm so grateful for. Um, and, I, and 
I, you know, now that things are starting to open up um, after the pandemic, I think just getting out and enjoying the city and doing some things like that, um, all of the above, anything you could do, travel some. I, I have uh, nieces and nephews in Chicago, so I get back there as much as possible. So all of those type of type of things. But I think no matter what I'm doing, if I'm with people I care about and people that I love, friends and family, um, that to me, I, I can have fun doing anything. Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously, you know, Sarah and I are New Jerseyans, so we're local to the New York area, but yes. you know, New York is just a, a great place and we're so happy, you know, it's coming back. Um, but we do want to thank you so much for being on. It was so great talking to you and, you know, we know that you're so busy all the time. So we really, really appreciate this. Yeah. Um, and Sarah, you're, you're one of the most genuine people that I've ever met in the industry. And that always sticks out to me. And I'm so grateful for it. Well, I am grateful for both of you. I'm proud of everything you're doing. I am humbled to be on the bro or on the podcast, and I hope you'll invite me back uh, <laughs> some other point. We'll have to we'll have to recap. We'll have to catch up maybe before the nets get started and the season gets going again. Um, I enjoyed every bit of it, and I'm just I really um, I appreciate you guys having me on because I think it's so important um, for all of us to continue telling stories, hearing stories, sharing stories, and and supporting one another. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. But um, before you go, is we want um, people to know where to find you. Um, so anything you want to plug or and where people can find you? Um, my Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Sarah Kustok. That's Sarah with an H. Um, and just my last name, K-U-S-T-O-K. -K. My Instagram is S-G Kustok. My middle name is Grace, and a lot of people in my family call me Grace or Gracie, so that's where the G comes from. And S. Kustak was already taken. I think Sarah Kustak was somehow already taken, too. <laughs> uh, but those are the spots uh, on social media and on the Yes Network, as you mentioned, um, some on FS1 and some of these Fox Sports shows, uh, NBA Radio, and maybe you can catch me at a, at a Lululemon store. Um, or things like that, doing some workouts on, on lululemon.com. So yeah, no, it's cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much, you Sarah. So much. Thank you guys. She is astounding. I mean, I said it once and I'll say it again. She is the most genuine person in this industry that you'll ever meet and sometimes that's really really rare when you're working in sports yeah she is popular she's in front of the cameras you know she's in broadcasting but she's so down to earth and it was so great to talk to her i'm so excited for her to come back on i know part two guys keep it keep it going but i'm we're seriously so grateful for your time sarah if you're listening so thank you so much um Carly do you have any fun weekend plans um I do I do I will be going you know out to Long Island where the Islanders fans live so <laughs> I can boo all of them no um no I'll probably be hitting the beach a little bit yeah the weather's been great um yes. you know what's funny Carly I just I, I was talking to some of our friends about this and I meant to ask you if you, okay, when you're taking shots, what is your preference, vodka or tequila? Tequila all day, all I night. knew you were going to, I knew you were going to say tequila, that. Tequila, tequila, I hate vodka. What is what yours? Is, 
Well, the thing is, you know me. Like, I'm not a big drinker in general. No, I know. But if, I, but if, if you I'm, had to take a shot of something. If I'm literally forced to. If I held a gun to your head. If I was forced to, I'd go vodka. Because it's just, like, it's easier. Tequila is oh. more hardcore. It tastes disgusting. Yeah, it is. It's disgusting. It's, yeah, it is. Carly loves it, though. Last time we were out, I they didn't have it. it. Can I just... We went to this pasta place, and all they had was... They didn't have... Okay, they had cocktails and wine. They didn't have a cocktail with tequila. Yeah, so you were so sad about that. Okay, please, what? So I had to drink wine. Like a classy... <laughs> like someone classy. Which... Just, not yeah. me. Um, yeah, but we, we got good pictures of you that night with your wine glass. Yeah, thank you. I, like, looked classy. You did not <laughs> Thank you for that photo, by the way. Um, yeah. And then we went to this next bar... And they only had beer and wine. <laughs> Wait, guys, at this bar, oh, I just need to... Beer and wine some... and, like, some frozen sake situation. I, I, liked, I liked what I had. I had, like, some White Claw type beverage, some light stuff for me. Beverage. Carly was a little bit of a problem at this place. I don't know if we'll be allowed back. <laughs> I mean, she decided to... The waitress hated her. Carly accidentally dropped all her popcorn everywhere. So she I don't know. I was she did. on the floor cleaning it up. <laughs> she I did. Mean... She did. But at the bar that we went to is called um, Back Pocket Bar, which is one of our one of our other friends, Emily, really likes it. And it was it's just a really fun bar, but we'll probably never be allowed back. So never be allowed back. We took way too many photos and <laughs> I spilled popcorn everywhere. So but it was a good memory, though. It's a good memory. A nice memory. I can't wait till the next time where we go to another bar and they won't let us back. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to wrap up here. Um, and you guys know where to find us. Next Women Up podcast on Instagram um, and Twitter. And we're also on TikTok. And Next Women Up pod at gmail.com. You want to email us anything, anything you want to hear us talk about. Um, we're all yours. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.